The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler and visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Welcome into the Ringer Gambling Show. Austin Gale here with Warren Sharp, a.k.a. Hoodie Mellow. I think this is the first time I've seen you in a hoodie with the hood on. Warren, I, are you are you are you entering a different era? Is this your is this your Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony era? Talk to me. <laughs> no, I mean I I love on the Wednesday shows with you uh, wearing hoodies. Sometimes on the Friday shows I'm doing other things, so I can't wear a hoodie. But I, I've got tons of hoodies. I mean it's fucking cold as shit outside right now, and uh, I had to take my son to school this morning, and you know I got I I'm rocking a hoodie. So this actually was a free hoodie from Mello directly because of. He saw something on Twitter with related to my daughter and he wanted to send over some stuff. So uh, one of the things that he sent over was a hoodie for me. So I, lo- I love free gear and uh, definitely enjoy rocking the, uh, the, the black hoodie. Hard to hate free gear. Get, let's get into the game, though. No, no more hoodie talk. I'm wearing a hoodie too, and I don't got it on, uh, or the hood over my head. I, I want to start with <laughs> Dolphins at Bills. I think there's some discussion that the Miami Dolphins offense is found out. The book is out. They're they're toast. You know, after the San Francisco 49ers beat up on Tua Tagovailoa, and that game was ugly. And then right after, I thought he looked significantly worse against Brandon Staley and the Chargers defense in prime time. Now, back-to-back weeks where the Dolphins offense has looked out of sync. Tua Tagovailoa has looked god-awful under pressure, and the Dolphins have lost both games. And now, it's not a guarantee that the Dolphins even make the playoffs with how hot the AFC wildcard race is. Bills at home, a a 7.5-point favorite. I think everyone will tell you this offense hasn't looked like the juggernaut it was since Josh Allen had the elbow injury. I still feel that there's so much talent on this football team, and Josh Allen is still so talented physically with his legs and all those things to make up for a lot of, just to have margin for error. And defensively, it's still one of the best coach defenses in the NFL. Um, I'm not buying the dip, or I guess I am buying the dip with the Buffalo Bills. If you're fading the Buffalo Bills in this spot because Allen hasn't looked as alien-like as he has to start the season. I still really like the Buffalo Bills. I still really like Allen to get healthier as he gets into the postseason. Bills right now favored by 7.5, total at 42.5. What's your initial preview of this game, Bills uh, hosting the Dolphins? Well, I mean, this game This game is insanely good. I, I cannot wait to watch this game. I wasn't as intrigued by the game against the Chargers, though I think we learned a lot more about the Dolphins in that game than I was expecting to. I thought they would look better in that game than they would than they did off of the 49ers game. Uh, but obviously Brandon Staley copied some of the things that he saw 
the 49ers used successfully uh, and then tweaked them a little bit as well. And one of the things that stood out to me the most about that game that I think is going to be a factor moving forward for the Miami Dolphins is um, they have got to figure out a way to get the ball to these receivers a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage um, and let them do work. And right now they're just putting a lot of undue pressure on Tua. So on all the levels, on the offensive line to pass protect really well, on Tua to throw the ball really well, accurately on time where it is supposed to be. And then on the receivers to catch the ball down the field or in a crowd. And it's just becoming much more difficult. And I say that because one of the things I was looking at last night was the Dolphins' average air yards per attempt. What were Tua's average air yards per attempt? And weeks one to four on early downs in the first half of games, because we don't want to look at the second half when they were up or down. That's going to make things different. Let's see what happened in the first half. This is typically when they're scoring a lot of their points. 8.6 air yards. So the first month of the season, early downs in the first half, they averaged 8.6 air yards. Zero games where they th- averaged over 11 and a half air yards. Then Tua gets hurt. Then he comes back from his injury and he plays in four more games. So it's a nice split, even sample size here, uh, right before their bye week. And in those games, they averaged 9.1 air yards. So a little bit deeper. Not quite as shallow, a little bit deeper, but not extreme, 8.6 to 9.1. And once again, zero games averaging over 11 and a half air yards on these pass attempts. Then they have their bye week. And the last three games that they have played, their average depth of target on early downs in the first half, 12.3 air yards. So we were 8.6, the next sample was 9.1, now 12.3. That is a massive increase. And every single game has seen at least 11 and a half air yards per attempt on average in these games. And they're just making life very difficult on themselves. And it's ironic because this is when the offensive line was injured, right? Like the offensive line was healthier in weeks one to four. Now the offensive line is banged up. Weeks one to four, Tua wasn't dealing with like the aftermath of this concussion. And, you know, you got to be careful around traffic and congestion in the pocket. You don't want to get hit again. You don't want to, you know, sustain another one of these. So we got to be more careful with you. Like all of those types of things weren't there the first month of the season. And now the last three weeks, they're trying to push the ball down the field too much. I mean, you look at that game. I saw it. You saw it, Austin. They start out their first drive, their first series against the Chargers on prime time. Three and out, three straight passes, no issues at all with three straight passes, right? That's fine. But it was a 31-yard deep shot. It was a 10-yard pass. It was a nine-yard pass that was dropped. uh, And then they punt the ball. Nothing was underneath to get the ball in these dynamic playmakers' hands. And I get it. This offense thus far has not been built like the 49ers previously with Jimmy G, where it was get the ball into the receiver's hands easily and make them do the work afterwards, make them gain the yards after the catch. This offense has been more depth of target, throw the ball down the field and let the receivers, they might not do as much work after the fact, but they're going to have bigger chunk gains. Maybe it's time for a little adjustment, especially the way the defenses now are starting to play to take away the middle of the field a bit more. Um, There's a lot more to talk about this game, but first wanted to toss back to you to get your thoughts on that and and see what you thought about this one. It it is really interesting how little the Miami Dolphins offense has generated kind of positive EPA per play or even just like positive production in these shallow parts of the field throwing the football, like that one to nine yard range. I think some of that is... The design of the offense, right? The design of the offense is very much, you know, push the ball downfield, leverage Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill to to maximize the width and length of the field with, with with the downfield passing attack. But we know if those windows aren't wide open, and defenses like San Francisco with Fred Warner or like Los Angeles with uh, Michael Davis having a really good game and then playing a high percentage of press coverage, if those windows aren't open. What I've seen over the last two weeks is if those windows aren't open, Tua Tagovailoa is still throwing them, right? <laughs> You're still, he's still trying to fit those in, still trying to trust the offense, has that kind of blind faith in the offense for that window to open up, for that part of the play to open up, because it's been that way all year. And there's a handful of plays specifically in that Los Angeles Chargers game where you look at Tua Tagovailoa throwing it to like three or four Chargers defenders, just, just blindly. And a lot of the times you look at those plays, and this comes back to the offense not 
leveraging kind of that one to nine yard range of the field, even like the one to five yard range. There's a lot of those plays where the check down is available, right? And I don't think, you know, right now, so far this season, according to PFS charting, Tua Tagovailoa has 25 dropbacks where he's checked the ball down. That ranks 18th in the NFL. I, I want to see him check the ball down more. I want him to, if that, you know, if they are doing everything like the Los Angeles Chargers were to defend, you know, the downfield concepts, Tyreek Hill and uh, Jalen Waddle over the middle and all those things, I think look, looking for him to check the ball down more is an area where this can get better, right? Because he's taking bad sacks or he's dropping his eyes and, or he's just like blindly throwing the ball. And I think him against these defenses, against San Francisco and now against the Los Angeles Chargers, what we saw so quickly is just pressure absolutely erode any of the successes that he's had so far this season. Over the last two weeks, Tua Tagovailoa has averaged negative 1.1 EPA per dropback when pressured. That's the worst in the NFL by a country mile. It's like Zach Wilson levels of crumbling. And it's not that you have to be Josh Allen under pressure. You don't have to be a superhero under pressure. You just can't completely fall off a cliff. And that's what it's been, right? The pressure has gotten to him. And I think also like the adversity has gotten to him. And I always go back to when Mike McDaniel after that Ravens game talked about how unfortunate it was early of that game for him to throw an interception. He said, it's the worst thing ever happened. Tua threw a pick and he started pressing. That's what we've seen for the last two weeks, right? It's it's not just been a pick. It's been slow starts and and higher expect, heightened expectations and defenses playing well. He's pressing. He's pressed last. He was pressing all of last week and he was pressing all of this week. And that is something that I don't know how quickly will go away. What... Just to focus on Tua Tagovailoa specifically in the last two weeks, beyond what San Francisco has done to limit him, which I think was defensive philosophy, pressing at the line of scrimmage, but also just having Fred Warner. And then with the Chargers, they didn't even have Derwin James in that game. They don't have Joey Bosa. Like They they still managed to rattle Tua with their front four, pressing on a high percentage of plays, specifically on early downs. And then on third down, you saw a lot of zone concepts that threw him for a loop, forced him to hitch, and this whole passing offense was moot. Well, what's your opinion of how Tua Tungabailoa has played over the last two weeks, and how much do you think it is kind of this like mental devolve when pressure hits or adversity hits? Well, I think, first of all, it's important to realize the fact that what Tua dealt with earlier in the season with the concussion or whatever the injury was, the the the, the issues that he was dealing with um, has shaped, I believe, the way that he performs under pressure right now. This is not just like, well, Tua under pressure isn't good. This is, you know, Tua under pressure, what was he beginning of the season versus what is he now and what has changed? Well, I think now it's changed that there's been a priority, and I don't know whether it's from Mike McDaniel or just general thought process and offensive strategy here that, like, we're not going to be able to win games when you're not out there, right? How many times did we hear the stat, like, every single game that Tua has started, the Dolphins won? And so the thought is, Tua just, if pressure's coming, you got to get rid of the ball. You got to try to avoid these hits. You got to try to avoid the contact. And so I think that that weighs heavily on a player who, you know, we, we hear all the time, you got to go out there and play fearlessly and play aggressively and think that you have the biggest ego in the world when you're playing the quarterback that you can do everything and not necessarily make reckless mistakes or fit the ball into windows that it shouldn't be thrown in, but just like the overconfidence that you need to have to play well at that position. And I do think the concussions and the injuries that he dealt with from that regard, because this is different than like all my my left non or in his case, his left arm is his throwing arm. My right non-throwing elbow hurt a little bit from this hit I took last week, or my knee is a little tweaked. It's like, this is your brain. And so I think that that unfortunately is a factor with Tua. I think the defensive, then it also coincides perfectly though with the injuries along that offensive line. And with multiple guys getting injured along the line, starters not being there and going up against strong defenses, strong defensive lines, it is going to be a factor in how the, you know, what Mike McDaniel's telling him before the game, what two is experiencing over the course of that game. It's like, we know our line's probably not going to hold up. So we've got to do X, Y, and Z. So two is already like preparing for the fact that his line's not going to give him time pressure is probably going to get to him. But I also know I got to get rid of the ball before pressure gets there. I can't afford to take these hits. And so it's just a bad situation that he's walking into. And guess what? That situation is not going to get any easier going up against the Buffalo Bills. And so um, there's a lot of blame to go around here. This is not 
solely on Tua. There's not, oh, Tua, you could just fix this. There's issues with the line and there's issues with his prior concussion stuff that I think is shaping the way that he is performing right now. But like I, like I was kind of alluding to as we pivot into you know this game against the Bills, last week, the Dolphins are in LA and you know I know you're a West Coast guy now so you know Austin like I don't know if you've gotten all soft on us as well but like they brought out their heaters it was like 58 degrees in in LA and they're having heaters on the sidelines just to you know stay a little bit warm and now we're talking about going up to Buffalo where we're expecting snow we're expecting wind we're expecting temperatures into the 20s um I just don't know how with without that offensive line being stronger and w- which is not going to suddenly get stronger, how this team is going to perform in Buffalo against, you know, a very good defense that has a very good pass rush, even without Von Miller. It, every way I look at it, I don't see how when you look specifically just at the matchup of the Miami Dolphins offense, Tua Tungvaluwa, Mike McDaniel versus Buffalo Bills defense that ranks number two in points per game allowed. And yes, runs a lot more two high concepts than the one high concepts that have given him pause or given him struggle over the last couple weeks, like a lot of quarters, a lot of uh, cover two in Buffalo. I still think that Buffalo, Sean McDermott's going to watch these last two games and say, hey, we're going to press at the line of scrimmage and maybe run some more cover one. So far this year, they've ran cover one 20% of the time. It's not you know among the highest rates in the NFL. They run a lot more quarters or run a lot more cover two. But I think McDermott's going to look at this tape and know that I can press in these situations at the line of scrimmage, play some cover one, and it'll force Tua Tungabailoa to have to hitch when the window is closed and also force him to, you know, vertical lead receivers, which has been, you know, from the jump, from even back to his Alabama days, like where he struggles with accuracy is when he has to push the ball downfield, vertical lead throws versus firing to an open window, um, you know, over the middle is, is, is where he's had more success and where he's been kind of labeled, quote unquote, like a very accurate passer. These vertical lead throws require arm talent and just a totally different, just a totally different skill set to like actually get those going. And we've seen even in like a lot of his touchdown passes, like Tyree kill coming back for those balls, Jalen Waddle coming back for those balls, because it's just a much more difficult throw and man coverage forces you to do those things. Cause the man beaters are these North South routes. And um, I, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm interested to see how Tua took adjusts. I'm interested to see how Mike McDaniel adjusts. Cause this is also the first counterpunch, you know, massive counterpunch to the offense that, admittedly in some ways might be built on a house of cards and that, you know, Tua by low is limited and, and there's only a handful, you know, there's a handful of concept that he can have a lot of success in. What is this counterpunch that even Tua is capable of? We'll see. To flip to the other side of the ball, I think that the Buffalo offense, it's going to be interesting if Miami continues to blitz as much as they do, because this front four in Miami is getting pressure with reckless abandon. Jalen Phillips, Christian Wilkins, Bradley Chubb, like they have talent along that defensive line. Wilkins probably the best of them that can get home without Boyer sending five or six uh, in a blitz. I, I want to see more of those, more of those defenses from Miami, more of those calls from Miami where they're just rushing with their front four and putting seven in, co- in coverage. Because I think that's where Miami can have more success and not play as volatile or as aggressive of a game plan. Because my opinion is, is Boyer, Josh Boyer, the defensive coordinator for Miami, is too often relying on heavy blitzes, man coverage, and that, you know, what, what is admittedly like a very volatile strategy. And you saw that against Brock Purdy and he had success against it. You saw it against Justin Herbert and he had success against it. I think you want to be putting more men in coverage and, and trusting your front four to rush the passer. I don't know what your, your perspective is on Miami's defense, but I have doubts that they can go into Buffalo and slow uh, Josh Allen down. Well... Here's the thing. I think in con- there, there's a few things at play, and I don't disagree with anything that you're uh, you're saying there. The few things at play that I am noting, though, are number one, Buffalo. This is the game. This is the game we were all talking about for like several weeks. It sort of defined the early part of the season for several games because of what Buffalo did when they last went down when they last played Miami, and that was a game that was in Miami. Buffalo had the ball for over 40 minutes on offense. They still lost the game. I think they put up only 19 points despite having 31 first downs in the game. They were forced into so many third downs. Their early down strategy was get the ball out of, was A, run the ball, and B, get the ball out of Josh Allen's hands quickly. And this philosophy that they had at this point in the season was putting them into far too many third downs. It was the opposite. I'm sure we discussed it on the Ringer Gambling Show. You guys 
probably remember, uh, we discussed how this was so opposite from what Brian Dayball was doing. Brian Dayball was trying to bypass third downs. The Bills were prioritizing third and manageable situations. And so they had 18 third downs. Now they converted 61% of them, which is a really high rate, 11 out of 18, they converted. But you're in third down far too often. You're slowly matriculating the ball down the field. Any big mistake is gonna cost you big time with that type of strategy. They went only two of four inside of the red zone, um, including one late in the game, which definitely cost them. We have seen against strong fronts, strong defensive fronts, that this is a matchup that tends to cause the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen to struggle a little bit. Their O-line isn't built well enough to like get really physical with a really strong defensive line. And I don't know if the Dolphins are going to be that type of unit. Like the Jets have that, right? The Jets are giving the Bills problems clearly this season. The Dolphins, I'm not so sure, but they're going to have to bring that this game. And then you've got the element of the weather that could impact the stuff down the field. We've seen Josh Allen throw the ball deep when the weather hasn't been perfect to like Gabe to a Gabe Davis. But right now we're looking at winds of like 13 miles per hour with gusts upwards of 21, 22 miles per hour. We're looking at uh, light snow and temperatures that are going to feel like they're in the 20, 19 to 20 degree range is what the real feel is. And the, and the ambient, like the regular air temperature is going to be below 30 degrees. So uh, it's going to be cold. This defense needs to bring that pressure. I don't disagree with anything else that you're suggesting about some of the struggles that the Dolphins have. They are absolutely weak in their secondary. If you are going up against the Dolphins, it's quite clear what you need to do is, I don't say abandon the run, but like attack them at their weakness. They're a major pass funnel defense. Throw the ball on them. Try to avoid the pass rush. Uh, don't waste a lot of attempts running your running backs here. Build a lead, and then you can be a little bit more free in the second half of the game. Easier said than done historically against the Dolphins, who typically have jumped out to big leads. But as we've indicated, this offense is getting a check, a checkmate thrown to them by the defense. Can this offense come up with something better on these early down plays to have more success and avoid so many third and longs? Because I was just looking at um, some of the numbers, and I'll probably tweet this graphic out later, Austin, but over the last three weeks, the Miami Dolphins are throwing the ball an average of 12.1 air yards on early downs. The NFL average is like less than eight. The second highest team is like 10 yards. That's the Atlanta Falcons who hardly throw it at all. But when they do, it's generally deep. Dolphins are way up at 12.1 and their average distance to go on third down as a result of this early down strategy throwing the ball deep down the field, they're averaging an average distance to go of 9.1 yards on third down. That's the longest of any team in the NFL. The, the Jets are the second longest at 8.4, and the NFL average is below seven. So, I mean, look, the Bills offense might not have to do a whole lot if the Dolphins offense doesn't figure out something else to do to score a few more points here. You know, otherwise, I think the Bills are going to be content with some of the shorter passes and the strategy like they used uh, in the last game down in Miami, I think the difference is going to be some of that stuff's probably going to be more successful because this Dolphins secondary from a personnel perspective and the way that they coverage perspective is playing far worse right now than they were back in the early first month of that season. Miami has to, in a week, go back to the grindstone and, and figure out what they can do, what, what zag they can throw in, how they can adjust the offense to just get back on track. And defensively, Though they rank third in pressure rate over the last two weeks, um, and a lot of that being blitzes and a lot of that you know winning with their front four, I don't know if that pressure is enough to beat up on a Josh Allen-led Buffalo Bills team. I think it's going to suck. I think this Buffalo Bills offensive line isn't that good. I think Miami's going to be able to get home, but I don't know if they're going to be able to get home enough to limit Josh Allen and the offense to a point that's going to allow for the Dolphins to kind of crawl in this game. I, I find myself leaning Bills a lot of the way here. I... I, I, I don't love taking the Bills as a seven and a half point favorite, getting over the key number, but I don't have a heavy play. But if I had a lean, I think it would be Bills um, minus seven and a half and, and, and probably waiting on the weather, confirmed weather reports before I look at the total. Lions at Jets. 
Talk about a game. I don't know if anyone thought this was going to be as big of a game as it is uh, at this point in the season prior to the year. But man, Lions and Jets. Jets are a one-point dog at home to the Detroit Lions. Detroit Lions essentially need every win they can get to have a chance at the postseason in the NFC. And the Jets are in that dissimilar of a spot. They obviously have a better record and they had a better start to the season. But the New York Jets, if they lose this game, their chances of making the postseason plummet. According to 538, right now a 33% chance to make the playoffs. If they lose against Detroit, that number drops to as low as 19%. Whereas Detroit will jump into 34%. 34% chance to make the playoffs if they win over the Jets on the road here. The Lions offense has been on fire. Jared Goff, the offensive line has been on fire. Uh, whereas the Jets... One and two with Mike White as the starter. I think he's looked really good, but he's banged up, man. Two massive hits this past week against the Buffalo Bills. The second one of which is when Mike, Matt Milano on a blitz came and folded him in half. He left that game in an ambulance, Warren. In an ambulance. I think he's still going to play. I think he's a gutsy kid, but those injuries start to stack up. It's going to be it's going to be a, a banged up QB for the Jets, uh, regardless of if he plays or not. So your initial read on this one, um, uh, Lions going to New York as a one-point favorite. Tough game, tough game. Um, I think the biggest thing here for me is you know, the diametric opposition that this game presents for the Lions offense that last game did not. So what do we know? Three big things that we know about this Detroit Lions offense. They are sick, ridiculously good at home and significantly worse on the road. That's number one. Number two, they are absolutely brilliant against zone coverage and they are much worse against man coverage. And number three, they are great when utilizing play action and substantially worse against non-play act when they're, when they're not throwing the ball with play action. Now they're not terrible. They're, they're, they're decent, but they're just so good when they're utilizing that play action. So what, what do we know about last week? Last week, they went up against the Minnesota Vikings. That game was at home played into their good split there. The Minnesota Vikings play the most zone in the NFL. That was against their good split. And the Minnesota Vikings are the worst team in the NFL against play action. Once again, against the good split. What do we know about this week? They're playing on the road, bad. They're playing against a team that plays some of the highest rates of man coverage in the league, bad. And they're playing against a defense that ranks first in the NFL versus play action. You are literally switching from one of the most zone-heavy teams that is terrible against play action to one of the most man-heavy teams that's the best in the NFL against play action. And you're playing it outdoors in cold temperatures. I don't know that we're going to get like too much wind or too, or any snow or precipitation whatsoever on Sunday, but it is going to be brutally cold. These are the first things that I looked at when I'm trying to anticipate what's going to happen in this game. I mean, the Lions splits offensively are no joke when they move outdoors. And, you know, as long as the Jets aren't turning the ball over, as long as the Jets aren't making too many mistakes here on offense themselves, it's just going to be hard to expect the Lions to score a lot of points in this game, in my, in my opinion, based upon the matchup and based upon the venue. And I think it's obvious why the total got buried. It was like 47 at some spots, majorly the market primarily opened at 46 and a half. That's down to 44 at a lot of spots. I mean, we talked about the weather situation in Buffalo where that total got snowblowed under, um, no pun intended, down to 41 and a half at some spots. Some are at uh, 42 you know, from from like 47 uh, at some of the early look aheads, mostly open at 45 and a half. And that took a major move on account of weather. I think this one is taking this move to the under on account of the fact that the Lions are so much different at home than they are on the road. And they're going up against the defense that they don't really match up well at all after just playing a defense that was like a perfect matchup for them. I, I'm so happy that you you highlighted how how I think bad this matchup is for the Lions offense because I think what anyone is you know what everyone is talking about with with this this Detroit Lions team is just how good the offense has been. It's top five in EPA per play. Jared Goff is number four in EPA per dropback. They're having so much success. Amon Ross St. Brown, DJ Chark is back healthy. The offensive line, 
specifically looking at road games, like you said, going to New York and going against a Jets defense that's top three in pretty much any advanced or you know, box score metric you look at, this is going to be very difficult for Jared, Jared Goff. This is going to be very difficult for a Lions offense that, yes, has had a lot of success of late. I don't know, man. I, I, I think that Robert Saul is going to have something for him. And I, I keep going back to, and this is from Stephen Weeze. We were talking on the Ringer NFL show. This is the same Jared Goff that defenses were literally like laughing at in the postseason, you know, years ago. When when they when when better defenses go against Jared Goff, they understand the limitations, understand that forcing him to make tight window throws and, and and getting him under pressure, he starts to become what he's been all his career. And I think you know, Ruiz has brought up like where has Jared Goff improved this year? And it's hard to say the only thing the only thing that I feel has improved with Jared Goff in terms of his skill set is the players around him and the offense around him. And now looking at this matchup against the New York Jets, I think they match up better uh, against the Detroit Lions. I think they'll have the edge over the Lions. I don't think it's going to be the scoring barrage that they've been used to. Um, I don't know. I, I, I worry that now as a one-point favorite, a lot of people hashtag restoring the roar in Detroit. I think that they're going to be in for a rude awakening here. I think going to New York is going to be tougher than people think. And uh, I'm happy, happy leaning uh, towards the Jets at plus one, uh, a team that obviously needs this win as well. And I really like how Mike White has played to kind of flip it to the other side of the ball. Mike White, like I said, one and two as a starter, but he has been such a difference maker for this team in terms of keeping the offense on schedule and not, and we bring, bring it up with Tua Bailoa, collapsing under pressure. In the, in the three weeks he started, he's top five in e-paper dropback when pressured. In the you know weeks four to 11, when Zach Wilson was the starter, he was the worst ranked quarterback in e-paper dropback under pressure. Like struggled, struggled, struggled under pressure. Gave the game away under pressure. It's why he was ultimately benched. I think that... Mike White, despite having you no know, one and two record, has played a lot better and kept the offense on a lot, you know, on schedule a lot more uh, since the starter. I think going against Detroit, a Detroit defense that right now, thirty second in yards per play allowed, thirty second in points per game allowed. Yes, they've improved. I still think this Jets offense can give. Detroit troubles with as much man coverage as they want to run. Jeffrey Okuda banged up with Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson. They have guys that can beat man coverage. I, I like this Jets matchup a lot, and it, I'm I'm honestly surprised that they're getting they're getting a point at home in this matchup. I think I think uh, this line is so close to a pick 'em right now. Some spots do have them getting a point. Some spots have them pick 'em. I'm seeing some spots on the board right now. There's there aren't many, but are even favoring the Jets here. And, and I think I don't want to call it a trap. But I think that there are um, a lot of the public. I'm interested to see the splits once we get into like Thursday. We'll get like a, a better picture of what the splits are here, how much the public is coming in on the Detroit Lions in this game. Because I agree, I think I think Garrett Wilson is in a great spot here to have a lot of success in this matchup. Um you got to think, though, that the Jets are going to try to get that ball out quickly to prevent some hits. Uh, the Lions defense in general is playing better. I just think that this is going to be a, a fun game that both of these teams really are desperate to win, right? Like the, the Detroit Lions are absolutely trying to get back on track and they're on their way. And what would they win two straight games on the road, uh, which this team hadn't done before? They beat the New York Giants. Like it was, first of all, they, they won their game and it was Dan Campbell's first win on the road, uh, of his, of his tenure. And they come back and they beat the New York Giants in a second straight road game that was outdoors. And then they go back home. And now they're back out on the road, this time against the New York Jets. I think it's going to be a really fun game to watch uh, in a game that's going to be very important for both of these teams. Definitely leaning Jets. Uh, we'll, we'll be surprised to see what uh, if this line isn't a pickup by the time we get to kick. I think there's going to be some money coming in on the Jets. All right. We're going to hit a quick break, but when we get back, we're going to talk Steelers at Panthers. Love what Steve Wilkes is doing with the Panthers right now. Um, and then I want to go to Bengals at Bucks. Talk some big Lou going against a bad, bad Buccaneers offense, man. I cannot believe what this offense looks like against San Francisco. We'll get to that after the break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Steelers at Panthers. Right now, according to FanDuel, Panthers are a two and a half point favorite. Total set at 37 and a half. The second lowest total on the slate. Cardinals Broncos is 36 and a half in week 14 or week 15. Your reaction to the low total here with uh, Steelers going to Carolina. I know the Steelers are working through some quarterback injuries. It could be Mitch Trubisky that's starting. And in Carolina, it's looked better with Sam Darnold in the games that he started, but I still have question marks on the sample size. I, I still worry about um, you know what this Carolina Panthers team can do against a good Pittsburgh Steelers defense. Well, what's so fascinating to me about this game and about this total is I was doing some research on this game and trying to figure out what uh, we were going to to get. And I was shocked to hear a reporter, forget his name, it might be Mark Kablui, something along those lines from The Athletic, who intimated that there's a chance that we could see Mason Rudolph as the quarterback for wow. the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the thought process there was that, and, and he doesn't think that they should do it, mind you. Like, I'm just kind of trying to regurgitate as much as I can remember from his piece. He didn't think that they should do it, but, and he doesn't know that they will do it. However, has he, quote unquote, sort of earned an opportunity as a backup to come in here and try to play one more time for the Steelers, knowing that he's not doing anything, knowing that Mitch Trubisky is not the future. None of these quarterbacks who they're going to be trotting on the field is the future. But Tomlin, being a defensive-minded head coach, had to be so irritated with three interceptions that we saw Mitch Trubisky throw that were into the red zone. That were, I think one play was outside the fringe red zone, but he threw it down to like the three yard line and it was intercepted. The other two were snaps that originated inside of the red zone. All three balls were picked off in the red zone, like unnecessarily forced by Mitchell Trubisky. Is that going to be enough for Mike Tomlin to say, look, you know, Mason, first of all, I'd be shocked. I'm guessing you probably would too, but I'm interested to hear your perspective uh, that we do see Kenny Pickett. I mean, second concussion, he was slammed down on the turf. We normally don't see guys come back even after one week of their first concussion, especially at the quarterback position. So I would be pretty surprised given his second concussion that he's back out there under center. So I'm expecting it's a backup. I thought Sunday night sure as hell that it was going to be uh, Mitchell Trubisky. But after reading that article, I don't want to bet this game if it could possibly be Mason Rudolph, at least not bet the Steelers, at least not bet anything with expecting points here. The one thing that Mitchell Trubisky does that Mason Rudolph uh, would not do and that Kenny Pickett hasn't been doing is aggressively push the ball down the field. If you look back at the numbers last week from an EPA per play perspective, this was one of the most efficient offensive performances for the Pittsburgh Steelers all season long. They were pushing the ball down the field. They were aggressive and they were extremely efficient. The problem was if you factor in the turnovers, you know, on, on some on third downs, but those are the times when this team got completely derailed and those are going to cost you a win, especially in a game that was decided by one score. So um, on the other side of the ball, I think that the Carolina Panthers can have some success moving the ball against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it's somewhat surprising to suggest that with Sam Darnold against Mike Tomlin's defense. But 
the Panthers are having success using these multiple tight end sets and bringing on an extra offensive tackle and running the ball. And we know we talked about this last week is one of the reasons why I was on uh, the Carolina Panthers in Seattle against the Seahawks catching the points. If Carolina can run the football, it's usually all going to be okay for this team. Everything's going to be copacetic. It's going to be fine if Carolina can run the football. And Pittsburgh, this defense over the second half of the season, they rank bottom five versus runs from 12 personnel. They rank number 31 in EPA, number 27, 29 in success rate, number 26 in yards per carry. And against all multiple tight end sets, such as 13, uh, sorry, 13, 12, all of these over the second half of the season, they rank number 31 in EPA per rush and number 30 in success rate. So the Panthers can load up there. They call, I don't know if you heard this, Austin. I thought it was hilarious. They said they call it the Arby's package. The yeah. Arby's package on the offensive line because we have the meats. We trot out those extra meats out on the field. We go with our extra tackle. We're just a lot of meat. And then they just pummel teams and they probably are going to be able to do that against the Steelers defense right now, the way that they're playing the run against heavier personnel sets. So I think the Panthers offense is going to be okay here as long as Darnold doesn't make any mistakes. And he's been he's been fine uh, in recent games. So as long as they're playing with the lead, they're running the football. Darnold doesn't have to do too much. Perfect recipe for success for the Panthers. Since Steve Wilkes has taken over, he's 4-4 four and four as the interim head coach for Carolina. They have a legitimate shot at going to the playoffs. I think if they win this week and the Bucs lose to Cincinnati at the game we're going to preview next, they're first in the division. Like the, Panther, the Panthers are legitimately, in the same year they fired their head coach, have a chance of making the playoffs because the NFC South is so horrid. That is a massive credit to Steve Wilkes. And I think... You bring up the Arby's package and this commitment to the run game. I think since Wilkes has taken over their eighth in EPA per rush. And that's been with, they people forget they trade away Chris McCaffrey, right? Like they're, they're eighth in EPA per rush since Wilkes taken over. And, and some of those, a lot of those games have been without Chris McCaffrey. And they've been running Blackshear and Foreman and Hubbard behind eight offensive linemen. And I really do think that looking at the comments made from Seattle, after last week, where Carolina Panthers pulled off an upset win over Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks. First thing Geno Smith said, they were more physical than us. Bruce Irvin said, I don't let any, you know, I have two kids at home. I don't let any man put two hands on me until everyone else feels that way. We're going to get beat up like this because they were, they were, they were more physical than us. And I think that recommitment to physicality, that recommitment to toughness, I, I think is back in the NFL. And I think specifically for teams that have to claw their way to edges that they don't have, right? Like the Carolina Panthers are objectively one of the least talented football teams in the NFL when you look at key positions like quarterback and um, offensive line and other places. But when you have this like recommitment to we're going to run the football, we're going to be physical, we're going to be tough, and that's what we're going to be every single week. And you throw out cliches that Wilkes has thrown out like we're going to protect the bank, the bank being M&T Bank Stadium, the home stadium. Like those things matter, man. How you motivate players matters. And you're seeing Wilkes in these cliches, in these like, like ground zero type of like football, you know, um, mythologies of like being tough and, and coming committed, you know, committing to the run of those things, actually working for a Panthers team while other teams are obviously struggling. And I think, um, I really like what Wilkes has done. I really like what Wilkes has done to motivate the players, to motivate the players, to protect the bank and, and, and be a tough physical team. Cause that's going to work. You know, punching a team in the mouth is how you upset the Seattle Seahawks. And I am afraid, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not doubting that Steelers are going to come in tough and, and come in physical, but this is a, a, a team that is, is not peaking, I would say, but getting hot. And uh, I could see them winning this one, especially if quarterback injuries lead to Mason Rudolph starting for Pittsburgh. One thing to interject for this last game that I find absolutely hilarious and really fun is that with Matt Rule as their head coach, they had a 1-5 in five ATS record, which was the worst in the league. And since they have fired Matt Rule, they are six and one ATS, which is the best ATS record in the league. So speaking to the head coaching difference that he is Steve Wilkes has made and the desire for this team to try to win these games and protect their stadium. Um, I think it's, I think it's a uh, pretty substantial and phenomenal. I don't know what they're going to do after the season's over in terms of which direction they're going to go. I don't think if he, if he takes his team to the playoffs, I don't see how you could replace him with a different coach unless you are somehow getting a Sean Payton in there. Um, I'm not necessarily convinced that these interim coaches, especially defensive coaches, like 
turn out great long-term records for their teams. Um, but it's going to be hard to let them walk if this team gets to the playoffs. And I think the other piece I'll mention, and you know, it's about like toughness being back or whatever, it's, it's become really, in my opinion, it's become really obvious which coaches can motivate players in the NFL and can motivate and rally players. And I think Brian Dayball is that. I think Dan Campbell is that. I think Steve Wilkes has proven that. And I think of any skill that matters after being able to design an offense that gives you an edge, regardless of the quarterback that you have, I think you see that with Mike McDaniel. I think you see that with uh, Shanahan. I think you've seen that at times with Sean McVay. If you don't have that edge as a coach, like legitimately like designing a, a top flight offense, like a quarterback proof offense, I think the second best edge as a head coach is like you motivate players better than anybody. And I think you're seeing that with some of these coaches that are having their teams um, that maybe aren't as talented, like a Giants, like a Lions, like a Panthers, competing for the playoffs because these players want to play for them and, and, and these players are, are motivated by them. All right, last game on the slate is Bengals at Bucks. Steve Wee said he didn't want to watch this game. I want to watch this game. I'm excited to see Lou Anarumo go against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a Bucks offense that every week just finds ways to look worse, look slower. On both sides of the ball, this Bucks team is slow. Their corners are slow. Their pass rush is slow. Receivers are slow. It's a lethargic team that is struggling, limping to a chance at the postseason. Right now, they're still first in the NFC South, but man, they are hanging by a thread. They lose this game. Carolina wins. They are out of first place uh, after week 15. The Bengals, red hot right now. Last week, T. Higgins played one snap and Tyler Boyd played three. And the offense did not lose a step. Jamar Chase played really well, 10 of 15, uh, you know, 10 receptions on 15 targets for 119 and a touchdown. Um, I think the run game with Joe Mixon back and Samaj P. Ryan kind of mixing in, I think is really good. Defensively, we already talked about Big Lou a ton on this podcast, but they continue to find ways to get pressure. I'm not even all that worried. I know Trey Hendrickson's going to miss time with a broken wrist. I think that was what the injury was. Yep. I'm not even all that worried with that injury that the, the, this defense takes a step back because it's such a well-coached unit. I really like where the Bucs are right now, or, or the Bengals are right now, and I hate where the Bucs are. It's hard not to have leans uh, on Cincinnati in this one. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. Uh, the line, I don't think offers any value, though. I mean, it's three and a half. They're on the road in Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay is still in the playoff hunt. They're still in playoff contention. They're still going to have their fans out in mass there uh, rooting for this team. But, I mean, the Bucs are, they haven't covered a single game at home this year. They are a NFL worst three, nine, and one ATS on the season, whereas the Bengals are a league best 10 and three ATS this season. So you have the best covering team in the NFL that's been undervalued all season for the most part, because that's how they're covering these spreads versus the team that is the most overvalued team in the NFL on account of them having Tom Brady. And the reason that you can definitively say they've been the most overvalued team is because they have the worst rate at covering spreads. I mean, that really is what it comes down to if you're talking about what are the expectations? And then what do you deliver? That's where the point spread comes into play. Your overall record doesn't matter. Are you exceeding what people are betting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on collectively? The sharpest data on the planet, the best and most accurate prediction of what's going to happen in this game and they are falling short of that at the worst rate of any team in the NFL, um, that, that should tell you that they're the most overrated team currently in the league. And this Bengals team is playing good on both sides of the ball. I mean, this offense right now is converting third downs at a ridiculously good rate. Uh, they are helping keep Joe Burrow upright. He's been sacked on just 3% of his dropbacks since week nine, which is the seventh lowest rate in the league. It was 8.7% prior to that. So some of these stats are from Rich Rebar. Um, so I absolutely think that this Bengals team is going to be supremely motivated, especially because they're only tied for their division lead, to go down to Tampa and to put up a good performance. And you just wonder, Austin, like the mental state of Tom Brady and this team because on one side you have a defense that's getting brilliant coaching by Lou Anamarumo and you have an offense that's got a quarterback 
who is ascending in his trajectory, in his career path, and they just went to the Super Bowl, have a bad taste in their mouth from losing it, are on the precipice of going back to the playoffs this year. They just need to close the regular season strong. They're exactly where they wanted to be at the beginning of this year. Most teams have the Super Bowl hangover fall off track. This is a team that's right where they want to be in terms of getting back to that point. And then you got this Bucks team that's had some losses, that's not playing well, that's coaching staff is calling minus EV plays. It's like the complete opposite of... And, and Brady in his career and whether he hangs it up after this season, it's just like everything's on the complete opposite where the Bengals are right now in their kind of franchise for the season versus where the Bucks are right now. It's a really interesting dynamic in that regard. You know, it's hard to dive into the mindset of Tom Brady and you know what he's thinking right now. I, I think even just throwing it out the window, I just don't know how I worry that the Bucks receivers aren't creating separation. I worry that the Bucks' offensive line is not creating enough push on the ground, and especially with worse out, and as long as he's been out, struggling to pass protect for Brady. You combine those two teams together with minus EV play calling from um, Leftwich, and this is a bad offense. Like no matter how you slice it, the only way the Bucks have been in games this year is because Tom Brady is still Tom Brady. We saw that against the Saints when Dennis Allen gave them a chance to get back into that game. They probably should have lost that game. Definitely should have lost that game. If, if, if game management and clock management was handled better by New Orleans. But like, I don't feel that Cincinnati, with how well their offense is scoring the football right now and how well the defense is playing, this game's even going to be close. I agree that the value's not there, you know, as a road three and a half point favorite over Tom Brady, but I am staying far away from taking the Bucs in this spot. I do not see, I think this is, a, I think the Bengals defense matches up well with Tampa Bay's offense. And I think Cincinnati's offense can score with anybody right now. I think that's how good Joe Burrow has been. I think that's how good Jamar Chase has been. You have to hope that T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd are healthy enough to play in this one. I don't know what the injury reports will be, but if they're back healthy too, this is going to be a, a, a big one for Cincinnati. I think the lean is Cincinnati, even if the value isn't there at three and a half. That's going to do it for week 15. Warren, we're, we're marching on week 16, 17, 18, four games to go, four weeks to go. I am excited, man. It's been uh, it's been a worthwhile experience going through this process. I'm excited to see who ends up going into the big dance, who ends up going to the postseason. But until next time, big shout out to our producer, Mike Morgan. Shout out to Connor Nevins, uh, Steve Cerruti, uh, and of course, Warren Sharp, myself. This has been the Ringer Gambling Show. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.